the Intersection Education Podcast. Schools are the place where different institutions, services, and societal influences meet. In other words, they're at the intersection of children's lives. In the Intersection Education Podcast, we speak with insiders and outsiders of the education world to try to gain new insight and improve our schools. there and welcome to the Intersection Education Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Haley. Today we'll hear from Felicia Oakes. Felicia is currently the Wellness Coordinator at Parkland School Division in Stony Plain, Alberta. She has a bachelor's degree in English from the College of St. Benedict and a master's degree in education from Seattle University. She also holds certification in a number of other areas, including being a certified yoga instructor. Wellness is the main topic of our conversation, and she helps all people in the division where she currently works to model wellness and to even understand what that might look like. As teachers, we often get caught up in the strict pedagogy of assessment or literacy and forget to see learning as dependent on some of the basic wellness issues that Felicia addresses in her work. If you like this episode, please connect with Intersection Education on our website, which is intersectioneducation.com. You can also reach us on Twitter at IntersectionEd. It even helps if you rate us and leave a review on iTunes. Here's my conversation with Felicia Oakes. Hi, Felicia. Thanks so much for speaking with me today. Thanks for having me. Um, let's get right into it. Last week I was watching uh, a pretty incredible event. I had a little bit of a faraway perspective uh, and that was the try a triathlon or try me triathlon. And I saw about 400 kids, I think, all getting out, getting active. Tell me about this event, kind of what it means to you and, and, and what it means to, or what you're, you're seeking out with the participants. Yeah. Um, that event grew out of a relationship with, uh, physical literacy and you, uh, through Canadian Sport for Life. You good? Mm hmm. And, um, we were very fortunate to start working with doctors Vicki Harbour and Dean Creelars with Canadian Sport for Life. This is about three years, four years back. And one of the things that we were really inspired by a number of us who are tra- training in the division around physical literacy was, uh, how important it is for us to provide multiple entry points for children to try out new forms of movement and to develop confidence and competence in a public space. So the triathlon was a multi-sport experience that builds on a number of really important uh, skill sets uh, that kids can use throughout their lifetime. We don't time it. Everyone's the number one. Uh, All kids are invited to come along as they are. It's an inclusive event. So kids from multiple diverse backgrounds try it. And um, it's just grown into something that the community has really wrapped itself around because uh, we've created a safe place for kids to risk, take risk and have a sense of adventure and um, have a whole lot of fun. They're super proud when they cross that finish line. I bet. I bet. And and the reason that I love that that whole event is because I really think it really speaks 
to some of the things that you do. And so let's get into um, what you're doing and kind of in terms of the education. Um, what is your background in education and how did you come to be working in uh, not only schools, but maybe a school division in Canada? Yeah, I, uh, well, that, that story is, um, I'm going to have to figure out how to make it feel like it's linear. It's not. Um, I, I have an undergraduate degree from a really cool liberal arts university in Minnesota, St. John, St. Ben's, and it's in English. And I was studying uh, Indigenous literature and Latin American literature and African American literature. And I wanted to have an experience of that that language living in my life. So I moved to Japan. And I started teaching in Okinawa. And once I got into the classroom in Okinawa, I was um, really okay with it. I felt really comfortable there. And I, lo I love, have always loved children and youth. And my whole life is interwoven with lots of uh, experiences of um, just hanging out, being, I still feel like I'm definitely pretty playful myself. So I went back to the United States, to the state of Minnesota, and I was invited into the classroom. And then from there, I got my master's degree in education uh, out in Seattle and taught in an awesome West Seattle classroom with one of the uh, coolest little community schools over in West Seattle. And um, of course, then as luck would have it, I traveled to Las Vegas. And I don't know if you recognize how exotic you Canadian men are, but I found <laughs> one of you in Las Vegas. <laughs> he says I hopped the border, but I think that all of my immigration documents are legit to date. So when I got up here, I had just completed my master's degree. I spent a lot of time in that work permit trying to find any sort of spot where I could make a meaningful contribution. I I really feel like I worked very hard at networking, relationship building up in a place called White Court, Alberta, not White Horse, Alberta, which is what Americans we think we're going to White Horse because it's the only place we've heard of. Um, but when I ended up up there, I just like it was culture shock because I just didn't have an appreciation for how wonderful and amazing and different the education system was up here. And since that time, I've had the uh, luxury of working with a number of districts and landed a wonderful, unique role here at Parkland School Division, which is the wellness coordinator. Yeah. So let, let's talk a little bit about that current position that you hold, which I think is rather interesting. So I think we should probably tell people what it is that you do. Um, what is a wellness coordinator for a school division? What are some of your objectives? What are some of your portfolio things? What do you what do you do? Yeah, what do I do? <laughs> well, it's not I mean, I of course already jump into the whole like it's not what you do, it's about the being, right? You just got to kind of take it day by day like I got to check my ego out of the the title. From a system standpoint, I think the idea in a socialized healthcare country of having a wellness coordinator attached to uh, a school division is absolutely economically one of the smartest things you can do because health and education are completely um, interlinked and large organizations like the World Health Organization have even come up with models such as comprehensive school health that are trying to advance and help systems understand how much more reasonable it is for us to do preventative health care rather than illness care, which is the system we have set up 
uh, to date. So we have so many downstream models of intervention in both health and education, but that front end, that universal piece, that preventative public health piece is just, it's critical. And you can't do public health without without education, and you can't do community-based health without education being alongside of you. So what I do is uh, different from day to day, but I think the attitude and the mindset that I bring to it is that we are truly mind, body, spirit, regardless of what any discipline says. We all have a lot of value, add a lot of value to this story, this narrative in how we live in the, the experiences that we bring and in the um, places that we cultivate for our children and our youth to make sure that they are healthy, that they're vibrant, that they're amazingly dynamic and interesting. And that should, that could be, that could be what schooling is, right? Is a place where health and education and spirit live because they, they live there even in spite of the systems we set up. Like they're either, there's tension there, right? So. Obviously you're passionate about this. Where, where does this come from? Where did you originally get interested in this concept of wellness and creating these dynamic environments for schools? Was it only in your teaching degree? What kind of shifted it over to this focus on kind of a wellness coordination or, or this passion for yeah. comprehensive health and everything like that? Yeah, that one's tricky. I mean, I was brought up in a state where we take civic involvement, democracy, uh, community engagement very seriously. So Minnesota, I think we're very good at community service learning. I think we're good at teaching and learning um, in an experiential way where we're outside of the classroom, we're in the communities, we're doing a lot of that. And so I didn't realize it until I left, but my schooling was a huge part of how I became such an adventurous, confident, um, balanced learner, right? I was with the National Red Cross when I was young. I was with uh, the National Youth Leadership Council. I mean, I was just, I had all these opportunities. Um, and in my university days, I became an activist. And I was heavily involved with the Catholic Worker Movement, with um, Greenpeace, and a lot of the more progressive slash liberal um, organizations that are doing a lot of work advancing social justice, social change. And I hung out with a lot of peacemakers. Um, by the time that I moved to Canada, I was actually able to relax a little bit of that because I don't find that, uh, A, Canadians are just a lot more chill on <laughs> a lot of <laughs> levels. Um, B, um, I wanted to be a curious immigrant and just kind of take a step back and ensure that I, and I still feel like I'm in that role. Like I'm a casual observer here. I, I, I don't intend to come in here and take on the usual Americans know everything kind of approach to being up here. I joke that, you know, from time to time that that's, that's how we can operate. But I think that the idea of being a wellness coordinator really stemmed from this long line of like, think, reflect, do, right? Like you see something, you have to reflect and then do something about it. And that really was my education. Right. Do you see the role of school divisions? And you talked about why you think that school divisions should take on this wellness um, portfolio or these objectives. Um, 
Do you think that school divisions are going to jump on board? Do you see more school divisions around Alberta? Do you hear about them? And and what would you say if you had a school division who was thinking about getting someone on board to coordinate their wellness initiatives? What, what would you say to advocate for your position? I would say that it's one of the more economically advantageous things they can do if they're playing the long game plan. Uh, there's no silver bullet to the complexities we're seeing in, in health and education. So you might as well start to proactively stack your resources according to systems level, innovative design thinking models, including positions like mine that are shapeshifter hybrid positions. And, um, oh, that's me. Sorry. It's okay. Okay. Um, I think that the other piece of the puzzle that's really important is that we're up against a culture that is very, very, very ill. Hmm. Um, that's the, the low point. That's the part that we all have to like, kind of just sit there and be present to that. We are not going to be able to pacify the next generation with tools, programs, uh, promotional items into telling them that we're a healthy culture. They can already see we're not healthy. We're living imbalanced lives. We have to actually advance real systemic changes so that um, our children are, are well and are living in a balanced way. And that starts with the adults practicing and modeling a lot of that. Um, so a lot of times in the education system, we think, we think, period, I should stop there. We think, you know, and the longest journeys from our head to our heart. So we have to be in education. We have to be and um, like healthcare, we're doers. The being is very uncomfortable for us. We can't see what it means. But when we slow down and create the space to just be who we are, we feel well. Others feel well around us. And we almost overlook how absolutely spectacular that influences on those around us. That energy is so transformative. And it's, it's almost, like I said, it's almost so overwhelming that we want to go back to the doing when we could just, we could just be ourselves, truly ourselves as adults living our balanced lives and children are going to notice they're going to feel seen and they're going to feel like they belong. Um, and I think that's pretty, uh, evident based on a lot of the teachers that you read who have done this work really, really well on, on a large scale. Let's talk about some aspects of wellness and, and of that health. And I want to delve into the idea uh, of mental health. We're getting a lot of data, both anecdotal. Teachers are saying, hmm, this is a emerging issue. But we're also getting some, some research data now, um, coming out around mental health and perhaps the influence of technology and smartphones and all this kind of stuff. Um, what is some of the work that you've done? to address this issue of mental health and youth um, for the for the community that you service? I think the work that is happening in the area of mental health is iterative. So even the word mental health is <laughs> relatively new. People are still uncomfortable with it. They don't know what it means. They don't know if it means mental illness. You know, we're struggling with language. We're struggling again with that idea of just being human. We want to label it and box it. And we want to say that the things that we're experiencing 
um, are outside of the scope of normative behavior. There have always been illnesses and issues with human beings. We're just, we're starting to develop a whole science around it. So some of the things that we're trying to do, of course, are reduce the stigma, create shared language. Are you talking about well-being? Are you talking about wellness? Are you talking about mental health? I mean, the language, the jargon, it just kind of is, is like, you know, it's noise right now for people. Um, we know that one of the things we're not going to be able to fund in education is a clinical response to what we're seeing in the emotional complexity in classrooms. There will never be enough resources to put a one-to-one psychologist and guru into our classrooms with every child who has complex uh, behaviors. This is a community issue. Communities have to strengthen themselves. That's the school community. That's your regional community. That's your neighborhood. We know that we have to deepen the relationships so that we can support one another through those times in our life where there's adversity, challenge, struggle. And then of course, I mean, the bigger, even larger umbrella around mental health is so much of it is linked to poverty. And there's huge linkages between how we're not addressing um, inequity, mental health, resources, and then how our systems respond to these things. Do our systems respond to these things? Or by the time you get moved into a system, perhaps we've already lost the game, right? Maybe we have to keep the people in community, right? So I, I don't know where we're going to go with that. We're trying a lot of programmatic responses in schools. Right. We're trying to buy our way out of this. But at the end of the day, it's one hard conversation at a time. And it's about people really caring and showing up just as they are, because everyone has a piece of the conversation around uh, being balanced and healthy living and, you know, mental health, emotional health, spiritual health. Now, now my next question, I wonder if, if you just gave the response to it, Probably. I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> now, um, you're not a therapist, you're not a psychologist, um, but you see a lot of things and you see a lot of strategies and you see a lot of success. What would you say, or what is some practical advice that you'd give to a teacher who is saying, Hey, I want to change my practice. I want to, I want to focus on the mental wellness or the wellness of, of my students. What is, where would you start with that? Where would, where would you, what would you say practically to a teacher? Yeah, start here. Um, here are some meaningful things you can change to to be in a better space to provide that environment where you're concentrating on mental health or wellness. Yeah, I maybe answered that, but it's <laughs> know thyself. You have to start with the self. the The natural tendency is to move outside of our own pain, our own darkness, our own twitchiness, and so take a deep breath in and just recognize that you are going to have to go within. Mm -hmm. And there are multiple ways that people can choose to do that. There are lots and lots of teachers out there. But just be wary that the answer is outside of yourself. Just wake up, find your breath, find a community of people, at least even one person who's also on that kind of journey so that you can have some support and don't feel so alone in knowing thyself. We 
have a real tendency, again, I'll repeat in education and healthcare, to externalize um, the practice of being, the practice of being human. And, uh, and what can you look for to notice whether or not um, this is working for you? Do you have the capacity to be present? Do you have the capacity to listen and hold the space for diverse levels of energy to happen in your classroom? You know, do you notice yourself feeling fatigued or a little bit more, you know, sustained with your energy levels? Are you making healthier choices around your food? These are all symptomatic responses to doing that work of knowing thyself better. People want to have a big plan up front for how they're going to change their life. And they set all sorts of lofty goals. And I myself even catch my own thinking sometimes in doing that. And then I'm reminded by a lot of my teachers, you know, what, what would it be like, Felicia, if you just woke up tomorrow, took a deep breath and kind of just saw what was going on around you. And I think that's, that's, what we all are asked to do is to start to slow down and unwind and live in that pace of being present. Mm-hmm. Now, again, these two, these two big topics are interchangeable and I want to move into yeah. the realm of physical health now. And so we, when we're talking about physical health, what are some of the changes that you see in this area? We talked about technology yeah. and we talked yeah, about yeah. all that kind of stuff. It might even be the same factors, but what would you say, people, society, but even more specifically teachers and parents should be aware of in trends in physical health right now with our, uh, with our young people. You mentioned a lot of it. I mean, screen time is going to be something that we're going to wrestle with because our um, natural tendency is to be drawn towards constant stimulation, um, noticing things physically just how sedentary we are. They say, especially up here in Canada, that sitting is the new smoking. People constantly, constantly overestimate their physical ability. It's very well researched that we think we are more fit than we are. Um, so to just be wary of always ensuring that you are on an infinite expansion journey with your physical body, because you will learn so much. And I'm not saying you have to make the regiment more difficult or more strenuous, but just that you're choosing a new skill and being curious about what your body can do as you age, being active for life, taking that walk, even on a different kind of terrain with your dog or finding whether or not finding out whether or not you can even handle ice activities, water activities, take a walk in the rain and the mud, you know, alternative environments, people have built up uh, the environment to be so structured that we're fearful of the outdoors. Now in Canada, in a country like this, we, we have such opportunity not to complain about the weather and be fearful of the outdoors because we're up there here in this green space where we are not stuck in a concrete jungle. We have this amazing opportunity to teach our kids just how lucky they are to have fresh air, amazing green spaces, safe neighborhoods. I mean, this is the land of innovation around all of this physical literacy stuff and outdoor education. And this, I I just see us as really being able to lead that work. Um, But we have to get real about the litigation uh, fears that everyone has. And we have to start to call our philanthropists and our political leaders to the table alongside of all of these folks who are 
moving every system into a litigation nightmare. Um, because it's, you know, Dr. Dean Creolars says all the time, we're willing to kill our children slowly with chronic diseases, but God forbid that they break their arm somewhere out there in the outdoors playing hard. But we have to really, really catch that in how we do our work and how we sit as educational leaders in these spaces. What do we call to question? Um, and we have to lead along the lines of really advancing against this culture that is sedentary, fearful, um, and asking us to do things alongside of our children that we never were asked to do. Let's flip that on the on the positive side. Again, I really do like uh, or I appreciate the fact that you have a great perspective. You see a lot of different practices, a lot of different strategies. What would you say are the bright spots? Whether that's systematic, what are we actually doing well, fairly well? Yeah. And maybe what are some of the greatest bright spots you've seen, that practice that you would love to expand because you think it's actually making an impact on physical health for our students? Oh, I... Uh, my, I see bright spots everywhere. I hope that there was nothing in that last little segment <laughs> that sounded hopeless. No, no. There's great hope for doctors, healthcare, and education to link together in order to support systemic change so that the outcomes that we're seeing in the area of nutrition and creating healthy food environments, advancing so that uh, advancing our communities so that there's they're walkable and kids can ride their bikes to school and we can have all sorts of um, public spaces where intergenerational people can meet to share and, you know, developing social capital and those types of things are happening all the time. We've done a number of things this year from a pedestrian parade where everyone just takes to the streets and walks in honor of mental health. Nothing more innovative than watching 3,000 people all go out, walk, talk, share a healthy meal on a sunny day, and call that a day of accomplishing mental health. That is really innovative, and that worked well up here. No big plan up front, no strategic planning. Live according to what you know is happy, joyful, warm. Um, we, we intuitively we can do this. So it's counter-cultural, but it's not counterintuitive. If we tap into what we want to do and what is life-giving for us, these things are in us. It's just counter-cultural. So we need to link arms with, with others, at least a few, and say, hey, you know, you're in my tribe. This is what we're on about. And then just hold the space for others to do what they need to do to find their own way. That's great. The name of this podcast is called Intersection, Intersection Education, yeah, and that's for a reason, because uh, I really think that schools are a place where different agencies and influences meet, and I think that it can get a bit messy when you're trying to navigate all these different things. Um, you seem to be able to bring people together, to bring agencies together, and you seem like in your role as a wellness coordinator, you talked about that, trying to get our health system and the different things that are complementary or the different people that are complementary working together. What are some of the tricks that you've ha seen or what are some of the tricks that you use for building bridges between schools and outside agencies? What's worked for you in creating those relationships? Well, you must have a few of those gifts yourself if you see them in me, because I'm just a mirror, Corey. 
So let the uh, compliment be paid back to you. Um, I would say that probably like you, I have a great, um, you know, a huge list of books, people, authors, like I am very curious around about social innovation and connectivity and permaculture because permaculture is a beautiful environmental metaphor for how I think healthy ecosystems in, uh, in the environment can help inform our systems. So I love environmental metaphors of thinking of how we're all uniquely interwoven into this system and who are the, you know, the, the fast growing, um, plants and who are the ones that are going to hold form and keep the soil condition strong. And, you know, so these types of things really dance along in my mind. That's probably my literature background as well. But, um, I have a deep respect and, um, curiosity around people who do social sciences really well, because I think that, um, I think the environment has so much to teach us. We're just another creature. So watching how we do our work in systems means that we have to really understand that we're not that smart. <laughs> we're just kind of floating around trying our best. So get our minds out of the way and kind of neutralize the space so that we're not judging everyone else all the time, but just seeing what gift do they bring? Uh, and what are we missing? And always showing up and just kind of saying, hey, here's what I bring, here's what I'm missing. And I mean, of course, I have to say very casually that the word love for me inspires and informs my practice. I truly fall in love with people all the time, every day, children, principals, uh, executives, government people, business people. Like I just cannot believe how amazing human beings are. We're so wildly fragile. We're so vulnerable. And yet we're so cool and dynamic if you can hold the space to really watch. So I think that's what I'm getting better at as I age. I'm almost 40 years old and <laughs> that feels really old. So listening um, with my whole body and then uh, becoming a more neutral observer of space and what's happening and just knowing that that's a very valuable role that I can play is to try and hold the space of neutrality. Okay. Does that, I, I think does there's that something out of there. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that that's, that, that is good advice. Um, perhaps not the, the, the list that people maybe are looking for, but it's, again, it goes back to what you said earlier. Oh, it's yeah, knowing thyself list. to be able to be the best that we can to, to move forward. And so I, I think that that's really in, in, consistent. I'm not a list person. I'm a <laughs> yoga teacher through and through. So energy vibrations, people like I just, uh, yeah, I know I struggle a little bit with uh, systems language because a lot of the, um, a lot of the language that we're very comfortable with in healthcare and education is, you know, indicators, outcomes, evaluation. This is very militant language and it serves a purpose during crisis. I think that because I work so much on the front end and I believe so much in upstream approaches that you have to hold things very softly and hold things with language that's very unguarded and that doesn't have a whole lot of charge to it. Otherwise, you can't be as inviting of a person as you need to be to convene 
diversity. So I've really been practicing that and I've been really practicing um, disarming my language and not specializing my language. So I'll be interested to see what people who listen to this, how well they think I'm doing. I'll be interested to see what they have to say as well. (laughs) Let's talk about education more generally. Is there something about education that you believe true that most people or um, a large group of people might disagree with you on? Well, that's a good one. Um, I truly think that public education is absolutely vital to what people tend to talk about as democracy. I think that we have really, really disempowered parents and caregivers to understand their role in strengthening and walking alongside of public education as an institution that they pay for, that they are vitally connected to. I think we've disempowered them. And I think that our schools have a responsibility and an opportunity to invite parents and caregivers truly back into that empowered stance of walking alongside of their children as a part of their public education experience and and learning alongside of them and being a part of the learning learning process. And we're missing out so much on all of the assets that our community brings from grandparents to mommies and aunties. Those people are just missing because a lot of the way that we school now has turned it into a clinical approach to education. And we need to go back to creating public education as public space for great learning and learning happens all the time in spite of us sometimes (laughs) and with us. So hopefully we could do that more with us if we were a little bit more creative and spent a little bit more time thinking about that. Next question. When I say the term master teacher, who or what comes to mind? Uh... My personal philosophy on that is probably master-servant. The highest form of yoga is karma yoga, which is selfless service. And so not ever missing out on an opportunity to mindfully take the trash out or walk alongside of the parent who lost their car keys. All of those little ordinary moments of teaching as a being, like just being truly human and walking alongside of people when they're in pain, just not seeing yourself as too important or too anything to just be with people and children as they are. This this next question might actually go right hand in hand with that, but I'll ask it again anyway. If education was truly successful, what would the impact be on students? What skills, what what would it look like when they're leaving schools? What would we have taught them? What are the most important things that we would have taught them if we're really, truly successful as a school system? That for that, that answer has to probably be um, a shared answer <laughs> so that it actually has meaning for, for wh- whomever you're in the room with mm-hmm. for, as a personal, you know, response to that, I would see it as the fact that these children truly feel loved. Um, they know themselves, they know 
or they don't have to know themselves, um, you know, enlightenment style, but they have to know that they know how to know themselves and that it's okay that they can return and go back. And we don't want to just like let them fly away <laughs> forever. If they want to, they can, but you know, it's kind of like we want to be the Sherpas always there when they're ready to climb that ever that Mount Everest that they know that that's who we are in the school system, that we're ready to help them carry the luggage so that they can climb that next mountain that they want to go up. And um, just because they leave, they should feel confident, A, to want to go up another Everest, and B, to know where we are if they need us. The next few questions I like to call the lightning round. Okay. So I'm looking for okay, a smaller, fast. shorter answer. My Twitter feed. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, favorite education-related app or website? app or website mine is probably uh tolerance.org you're not the first person no way to um to advance that uh, okay. to have that answer so that's great number two what is a book that you quote or refer to or have marked up the most okay um one of my favorite books is ishmael by daniel quinn and i've gifted that many many times What's one thing that you do every day or most days that keeps you well and healthy? I meditate. What's an organization or person that is inspiring you right now? Oh, my, right now I'm totally obsessed with Pema Chodron. It's a, she's a Buddhist uh, nun and I can't, I like click onto her YouTube videos and I listen to her in the car and just even the sound of her voice is like a Qigong and I just feel more relaxed. Amazing. So what's next for you? What are some of the things that you're working on right now, um, whether it be with your school division or maybe looking at your whole community? What, what are some of the things or projects we can look forward to seeing? What do you think about that answer, Corey? <laughs> I don't, you got to answer that. What do you think after our meeting today? I think that you're doing some really innovative things about um, systems and how we come together to learn and creating communities, not only within the school division, but also, as I said, creating those partnerships um, with outside agencies. So by way of understanding whether or not we're ha I'm having impact, your answer is more valuable than my own, right? I. It's a great answer, by the way. <laughs> I, uh, I love that. Now, let's see people are really interested in connecting with you and they want to um, learn more about some of the things you talked about. What are some of the best ways to connect with you? Over and over and over again, because I'm really bad at getting in a linear way to all of my emails. Right. However, I uh, really like to gather with people, A, in person. I'm much better in a one-on-one -on -one setting than over email. And secondly, I much prefer a... Um, uh, Facebook is great. Twitter is great. Social media allows us at least to connect. And then mm -hmm. I will personally phone you. You bet. What yeah. is your Twitter handle if they're looking for you? It's at Felicia Oaks. Excellent. Yeah. And Oaks, that's O-C-H-S. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for all of your this insight so cool. Today. No, wait, wait, wait. I have to thank you for being an educator in our school division who has taken this leap to start a podcast and done it so well. And I listened to it this morning on my run and you are just doing some really dynamic, amazing work. So may this interview just continue to help your torch shine because you're doing great work, Corey. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah. 
That's it for my conversation with Felicia Oakes. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back soon with our next episode.